Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I interviewed Ezra Levine, CEO of Collectible, and we batted around some topics, mainly his origin, how Collectible got started, and his involvement in the hobby. So thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, Ezra. Here it is. I hope everybody enjoys it. Here with Ezra Levine, CEO of Collectible. That's Tell us about me. your hobby journey as well as how this great idea terminated. Yeah, sure. Collectible hasn't always been a fractional ownership company. In fact, Collectible has been around the hobby since 2013. It was an app where you'd go onto the Collectible uh, app and it would tell you prices of, of auction results. The backstory is that the prior management team of Collectible transitioned the business when they saw fractionalization starting to emerge. Shout out to the original founding team, really Jason Epstein, who had the idea to pivot the business to fractional. And then he sought out for around 18 months to locate a new CEO and a management team for the fractional concept. Cut to, uh, I was working on Wall Street. I spent about 10 years on Wall Street. I'd also had a great sports entrepreneurial experience where I co-founded a minor league football league and ultimately sold it. And here I was in my career where I was straddling the capital markets and sports entrepreneurial. And so I had a background in the hobby. My dad's been in for a long time. I remember when I was a kid, he would go off to the national every year with his hobby buddies. Some of his hobby buddies are still his closest friends to this day. So I was always around the hobby through my father. As I was debating what I should do with my career, I had a long conversation with my dad. And he said, hey, look, you should really take a look at the collectibles industry. There's something really interesting going on. We're seeing rising prices. We're seeing different types of you know, entrance come in the category and new ways of doing it and new technologies. It was really through that conversation that I started to dive deeper and explore and reconnect with the hobby. And I really just uh, almost randomly connected with the team at Collectible as they were transitioning the business. After a series of conversations, they sold me on the idea of fractionalization. And I, I had to be self-reflective enough to think that I could do the job well. And ultimately, I accepted the, the job as CEO of Collectible. And, that, and that's really where my journey began in January of 2020. It's been an incredibly exciting time for the hobby, for the industry as we like to call it now. And it's been a really exciting time for fractional ownership and in our place within that. There's a niche of the hobby as well. Are you more of a strategy guy or more helping build the team? Or as a CEO, you wear a lot of hats. So what has been job one as you came in? And it's been the most exciting two years in the hobby. CEOs of, of small companies can attest. When you wear the title of CEO, you wear the title of absolutely every job in that company, whether it's CEO or janitor or strategy or sales, or you wear every single hat. Our job at Collectible is to put together a team of doers, a team of people who could execute, people who are hungry and motivated, who have category expertise. You need people who have been in the industry for a long time, obviously, but you also need some people who have an outsider's view, a fresh lens of the industry, right? Because ultimately, we're trying to skate to where the puck is going, not to necessarily where it's been. Our job was to put together a team of talented and hungry people who believed in the mission, who saw the opportunity, and to roll up our sleeves and do whatever it took to get the company off the ground and to continue to execute and build on If the CEO wears three hats, a startup, you've got to build a team, you've got to set the strategy. But the third thing, which I don't think has been that difficult for you, is sometimes the CEO spends a lot of time raising money. And I'm guessing that hasn't been a big problem for you because I'm wondering if the money you're raising is securitized by the collectibles that you're holding or how that works, because I would think you would have people wanting to spend money or invest money in your platform. 
because they'd be bullish on it. And it's funny, we definitely have raised you know a, a good amount of money. It's been an interesting fundraising climate for sure. Obviously, a lot of investment dollars are flowing into the collectible category, but it hasn't always been easy. We really started this company at the beginning of COVID. We were trying to raise our quote unquote seed rounds when COVID was starting to peak. So we all know how COVID played out for the hobby. It was a, it was a real accelerator of a lot of the trends that had already been taking shape. But at that time, there was a lot of uncertainty in the world, and it wasn't so obvious what the outcome was. But for a while, we were bootstrapping this. We learned how to be very capital efficient. We learned how to be really resourceful. We learned how to get things done cheaply, how to execute, and how really to never take no for an answer. Honestly, one of our big break was is that we started to act as if we were well-funded, even though we weren't well-funded. Right. So we, we started to really game plan and strategize and and strike up relationships on the supply side with collectors and dealers and auction houses even prior to our company's outward facing launch. So by the time we did launch, you know, we had amazing offerings. Our bet was that the quality of the offerings were going to bring demands, that if you had great stuff, people were going to come to your platform because you were the only game in town who had that item. Right? So our first launch asset, 1953 Mickey Mantle PSA 10, just an iconic card. Through that, we got a lot of organic press and organic interest. And that we were able to sell a million dollars from a Mickey Mantle 1953 PSA 10 in under a week. I think that really put us on the map. From there, everything just started rolling. You weren't the first one in. I think Rally was already doing stuff. I'm not sure about some of these others, but did that make it easier for you or harder for you? Did you have to develop a niche or did the quality of the item just spoke for itself? Yeah, I think it made it easier for us, honestly. I give a lot of credit to Rally. I give a lot of credit to Otis. I I give a lot of credit to the other fractional companies out there. I'm friendly with their management teams. I have deep respect. You know, for them as businesses and, and for what they do, I, I know it's not always easy, believe me. There is a perception that being the first mover is the advantage. I would actually perhaps argue and say sometimes being the second mover is the bigger advantage. You get to really sit back, take shape of the market, size it up, learn from what your peers have done well, from what your peers haven't done well, and, and make you know improvements upon things that you think could be improved upon. For us, I think it was easier in the sense where you already had an audience that had a degree of awareness on fractionalization. Obviously, a fractional ownership is still very much nascent and still very much gaining steam. And I think a lot of people still have to be much more educated on the benefits of it. But people had heard of it before. We were not the first game in town. There's a degree of education where we're stepping into something that people already somewhat understood. It also allowed us to probably get better supply earlier because there was proof of concept in the market that sports cards or collectibles could be fractionalized. So I think we absolutely benefited from it. But what has really differentiated Collectible has been a couple of things. But first and foremost, it's been our unbelievable access to top tier supply. I've always thought, because I'd always known about art in the high-end art market and wine, I think as well, and there's some others. So there, And I think Rally and some of these others did other stuff before they did trading cards. Yep. But are you the main one that is primarily trading cards at this point. I'm sure you may have designs to expand, but the others moved into sports cards. You guys started there, which I've always said it's a really difficult vertical because you need a lot of knowledge, a lot of passion there, but there's a lot of chaos as well. Yeah. We are are focused on sports cards, collectibles, memorabilia. We've done photographs. We've got tickets, but yeah, we are singularly focused on sports. Obviously, as our name suggests, we always have the optionality of expanding to other verticals. We've obviously been approached about expanding into other categories. But for us, we're really not trying to build our entire business on, on day one or year one. You know, we're really you know, focused on blocking and tackling, really building out the processes, our infrastructure, our know-how. I'll also say this, I think content and education is a big thing in this category. And what fractional ownership can do for the market is bring in a lot of new participants. 
the beauty of that, obviously, is that it expands the, the pool of buyers and the popularity of the hobby, which is great. The potential downside is that the new people who are coming in don't have the, the level of knowledge or education around what moves this market, what makes it tick, what are the pitfalls, what are the benefits. It's a huge responsibility for fractional ownership companies to really make sure that people have a degree of education before just jumping. We want people to, to come experience the hobby, albeit not perhaps in the most traditional ways that people have done it before, but we want people to experience the hobby uh, and have an enjoyable experience and stick around and then spread their wings to other parts of the hobby and start collecting physically as well. It's, our view is that it's much easier to educate people on one category, right? On sports cards and memorabilia. And, and believe me, it's tricky enough to do that. People, as you better than everyone else, people have all different interests and preferences, even just within sports cards and memorabilia. But really, we, we're focused on one single vertical to, to really educate people and to, to get our processes down pat, and we'll see what happens from that. In a bull market, it's not that hard to explain to people what you do, and it's a mixed market, and not everything shoots to the moon, but that's the same as any market. But we've had tailwinds largely the last couple of years, and Hopefully, we'll continue to have that. Even without that, you have some iconic things that you've uh, chosen to present on your platform. How does that happen? Does somebody contact you or are you contacting them? What's the predominant way that you're getting these fabulous items? Yeah, it's been primarily inbound, right? We've got a lot of great relationships. Some of our shareholders are some of the bigger collectors in the category, advisors are some of the biggest dealers, auction houses. It's also a function of what our product can do that other platforms perhaps can't, right? One big thing that I would say that Collectible really pioneered for the category, which has you know, led to a lot of access. Obviously, access only gets you so far. You have to execute as well. One thing that we pioneered that has been, in my opinion, a huge thing for the hobby and will continue to be a big thing for the hobby is this concept of retained equity, right? That means if you have a high-end Collectible and you are sitting on a paper profit, but you don't want to sell all of your economic interest in something. You just want to take some chips off the table. You can sell uh, a partial ownership in your high-end sports card or your high-end memorabilia. What this has done is created a degree of flexibility that you know allows people to get some money out, but still have some skin in the game in case of further appreciation. I think that's been a feature that a lot of people, a lot of high-end collectors have really loved. A lot of high-end collectors as, as well, love their items, love their collectibles, and don't necessarily want to sell all of them. But they have families and they have you know other needs and they could use some degree of, of liquidity on those items or flexibility on those items. Our concept of retained equity has allowed them to free up some cash without having to part 100% of those items. Well, okay. I understand that. But does that mean they have to send you the item? Because you have to vault that item to be able to sell uh, shares of it. And secondly, I understand the retained interest, but what is your corporate position or your recommendation? It's good to offer it. But if I say I've got a 52 tops mantle, I'm not going to say what condition it is, but I've got one that I'd like to sell on your platform. Would you be recommending that I put it outright into the platform? Or is the retention show that I have confidence in it? or that you have confidence in it, that somebody says this value is good. What are you recommending? I think the beauty of the feature overall is, is the flexibility that it creates, right? The flexibility that you can sell all of it on collectible, or you can sell a partial stake in you know, whatever increments you want. What I recommend is there are multiple ways to use collectible as a seller that create a degree of flexibility that does not exist elsewhere. It's really up to the consigner to, to let us know what they want to do. There's different consequences, if you will, or interpretation of what degree of ownership one sells or retains. And so I'd like to explain how it might be perceived by the market if you keep X amount or sell X amount. And I think both have merit. My job is not to make a recommendation necessarily to them. It's just to explain 
hey, if you go down this route, here's the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you go down this route, here's the good, the bad, and the ugly, and allow them to come back to us and say, hey, look, here's what I want to do. Here's what's best for me. Here's what's best for my family. People have asked me with stock market dynamics and parallels, is this a way to do some form of short selling? In other words, I take my 52 tops mantle that we jointly value, and then I sell you half of it. So I send it to you. There might be motivation on my part if I was bearish on the market to think uh, I'm going to sell off half, take some chips off the table. But it might be that in a year or two, or there may be some dip in the market that's possible that I could buy back the other 50% off your platform, buy it back, and I have my card back. In the meantime, I captured those chips off the table. Is anybody thinking that way? I don't think you'd want to encourage that, but that would be the closest thing to a form of short. Look, we have protections in place. There is a board, effectively, who, who sits at the intersection of the consigner and the other shareholders in the asset. So our job ultimately is to protect those other shareholders, of course. We certainly have great oversights into this, obviously, but it's also a market too, right? There, there are market forces. So our job is to take assets public at what we think are fair value today. Right. And ultimately, you can't always control market forces. You can't always control what happens in the macro climate. But ultimately, our our team does a great job of curating and sourcing items that we think are iconic, that are historically and culturally relevant, that we think have long term price appreciation, but also ones I think, you know, will resonate and are right for fractional. Not every piece, not every athlete, not every card, not every member is right for fractional. So our job is really to sift out and cure all the items that we believe are right for the platform. And sometimes that sifting out is not just evaluating what the card is, but also the opportunity, the needs of the consigner, the seller, and that all very much goes into our thought process as well. Thanks, Ezra. Uh, Very helpful. I I think I'll keep my 52 tops mantle, but you're a great option to consider. So thanks for being on the show. 